This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This month, Hate will release their 11th full-length, Arak Gates of Valus, via Metal Blade Records. Arak Gates of Valus is a titanic record that is both organic and dynamic sounding and may well be the finest of Hate's storied career. Purchase your copy now at metalblade.com slash hate. Once more, new record by hate. Purchase your copy now, metalblade.com slash hate. I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What is going on, friends out there? Is I your host, Petra Spych? I'm always joined by... Listen up, you son of a bitch. I go by Brandon Hahn. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Mr. Han Comedy. That's H-A-H-N. And the one giggling at your stupidity. No. Uh, I am Jocelyn Sharp, and um, I was giggling at your stupidity. I'm, I'm a sucker for it. I can't help it. Sucker for your stupidity. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jocelyn Sharp. Find me, guys, if you want to reach out. Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, interview, I'm so happy I got to get one of my favorite bands that I've been listening to for the last decade, for sure. And that is John from Baroness. So we're going to jump into that interview, guys, here shortly. But before we do, as always, we're going to comment on some of the MetalSucks.net news. First story I wanted to talk about, I don't know if, if people care anymore, but me, I care. I do care a little bit. Rage Against the Machine is a band that I think had a huge impact culturally and probably one of the most aggressive, insane shows of all time. But for some reason, their career, to me, always felt really short. And I was alive during their whole career and active during their career. But Tom Morello gives us a little update. There's no news on the Rage Against the Machine front. During these like political times of just, you know, insanity don't you think raids against the machine could put out one of the most fucking intelligent records at this point this is like a way deeper well of material for rage to pull from than when they climbed on the mtv awards what was that yeah, what yeah. year was that i don't know nah, it was remember. like 97 yeah. 96 or 97 this is a way more politically charged time right? maybe 99 don't you think don't you think there's way more to pull from way more for them to rage against well yeah there's definitely a, a bigger divide let's put it that way yes you know i mean there's a, there's a much bigger divide but at the same time i mean i don't know i mean these guys are putting out I think they would just add to the divide. Do you guys think it's possible that with age, as they grew up, that maybe their message they felt wasn't the same, so they didn't want to sing those songs? Yeah, it could be. Do you be. think that's possible? It, it could definitely be. Could Do you be. think yeah. about how, I could, if I think back to my political beliefs, like I was very politically active in, in high school and college, like organizing protests and joining all these clubs. And when I think back to some of the bullshit I used to say. Mm, anarchy. Right? It's anarchy. like, we can it would live be together. Like, <laughs> yeah. For rage, it's probably like going back to like your high school set of beliefs. Right. <laughs> Right. 
And that's what I mean. I feel like they can still put out an intelligent record to say their beliefs now, whatever it may be. Yeah, I agree. And and there's they're just a special original band. And the they fact were, that they're so just inactive for so long at this point, they never lost a step as far as popularity. Look, no one's saying they were never special or original. Definitely both. Uh, Bulls on Parade is one of my all time favorite songs. You like th- you think they quit forever. because they started rap rock? I think they quit. <laughs> Dude. I know Dude. Anthrax and Public Enemy get the They heard the Crazy first, Town and they were like, no. Let's, let's be honest. Rage Against the Machine was the band that spawned all that shit. Wasn't it Tom Arello who actually apologized for I it? I don't know. I mean, like one of them were just kind of like, I don't know. Look. I don't know if anybody apologized for it because they're think, still doing it. Yeah. But the thing is, though, is when they did it, it sounded good. They found the perfect mesh of, okay, you got a little bit. and not fake. Yeah, 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 exactly. You found the perfect mesh of like, instead of like, uh, you know, he was still angry enough to where it sounded like he was yelling yeah, all the rap more- like staccato, it was more like staccato singing than rapping what yeah. he was doing. Like it wasn't true rapping. It was just very like rhythmic speech, like uh, tonal rhythmic speech, which is technically rapping. But like it just didn't have it doesn't have the same vibe as like Link Biscuit. Like, yeah. like it's not like that's, that's what it. Yeah. He, I, I, Rage is the first of all that. But that's what I'm saying. Diet, Limp Biscuit was Diet Rage Against the Machine. I mean, let's be honest. Diet I mean, Limp Biscuit is the RC um, Cola to the Rage Against the Machine. Actually, yeah. Limp Biscuit is the is the water to Rage Against the Machine's Coca-Cola. It's piss. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. They're, they're just Flint, c- Michigan water. Yeah, it's Flint, Flint Michigan, Michigan water, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Flint. Limp Biscuit is a GoFundMe to, yeah, God. to clean up their act. <laughs> Next Oof. story. Next story I'm going to talk about just kind of to Mr. Han comedy over here to piss him off. Like, Last time when when last time we saw I don't want, it wasn't the last time I saw Soundgarden but the last time me and Brandon saw Soundgarden live the opening act was a band that I'm a big fan of and our buddy who was with us at the time Travis the Mars Volta right and Brandon I mean fucking despised these I just guys. sat there watching <laughs> this fucking asshole. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. It's, uh, it was awful. Go ahead. Why? It was awful. You were in a bad mood. I, no, I was in a bad mood because of them. I was in a great <laughs> mood, and then I saw this dickhead with some like little keyboard <laughs> running back and forth, and he's just twisting knobs, and he's like, I'm an artist. Keep and in like, mind to here. the fans out there that realize that when we saw them on their final tour, they did just play songs off their latest record at the time, and it was much more synth techno yeah. based it wasn't yeah, because it wasn't when i go the, see mars the, volta i'm like play the hits what, what are those <laughs> never mind Fucking <laughs> Brandon. i knew i shouldn't have brought this up <laughs> i love the mars volta i don't know why you're apologizing to mars volta fans they don't know how to work their phones uh, I, yeah, right? they're not no listening shit. to this podcast <laughs> i love uh, i love at the driving i love the mars volta okay at I, th- the I think the mars volta do uh go a little far with some of the slop that they put in songs i think they could you know cut them down a little bit i'll always say that but when I uh, listen to a record, man, I feel I feel a joy. I can't explain. <sighs> Mars Volta gives me that same vibe that the pretentious hipster garbage does now. Like when it's just like you're just doing weird shit in the middle of your song. Yeah, but they were doing it in 2001 I too. Know, so you can't call I them. Yeah, and you know what? And I'm going to tell you something. It enraged me in 2001 when I saw an asshole wear a fedora. <laughs> the same anger rose up in me. I'm like, you're going to really smoke out of a pipe, you piece of shit. That is very milady music. Yeah, uh, I bet you all the metal heads right here are all on your side, and I'm the only asshole. You are here, the asshole someone here. else there appreciates the fact that the Mars well, Volta's Pete hiatus has a hard time. Over. Pete has a hard time. And I, and I actually got to give Pete a little bit of credit because he does have a hard time blasting artists because let's face it, it's can any of us write a song right now? Are any of us no, musically we're, capable? We're so, all entitled to our opinion and especially you and I because people tell us to our freaking face after shows every night what they think about us. Right. <laughs> You're fucking <laughs> yes. writing songs. 
I like the fan role. I want to just be a fan. I never had any inkling to write or do anything like that. All I'm yeah. saying is, fan, though, fan, being a fan is fun. Oh, I'm saying, yeah, right. You know exactly. what's also being fun? a fan is fun. Saying is, I hate Mars Volta. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm so having fun. so much fun. It's like the same fun I'm having like when I do my first somersault. <laughs> it's just like I'm, I landed it. It feels very cathartic to say. It well, I'm not. We're gonna. Gotta, st- oh, we're gonna stop hating on the Mars. I don't. Hate, but, I don't hate them as people. I just. I'm not a fan. Right. Right. Um, but the thing is, though, you were just talking about like being a fan, right? But again, great part. It is a great part because we don't have anything to show for our fandom you know what i mean oh, like this i wish our hard-earned money towards them what are well you right about? well here's the deal though one all it takes is the mars voltage just be like you know hey fans blast the metal sucks podcast and now all of a sudden we're getting death threats you oh, know oh my mean? god it'd be so fun brandon, <laughs> brandon is blaming the mars volta for his arms crossed while soundgarden was playing outshine that's what brandon's doing he's like it's okay. their fault it's let their me, fault let me just tell you right now <laughs> I have been out in public with Brandon before when he has decided that he's it's had over. enough. It's I've over. had enough. And I know what you're It's a fucking rat. We are, we are just atoms of energy. So we feel each other's energies. Yeah. We, if we didn't talk, we would just live off energy. And when you're next to Brandon at a concert like that, his energy just takes over. Let me just tell you something. Right. I'm going to tell you right now. Chris Cornell, you know, we're definitely sadly missed. But oh my God. Dude, they didn't move. They just stood there and they played the music. They just stood there. There was no moving. There was no engaging of the crowd. You there was none of that. Had the crowd, you might have had our audience on the Mars Volta aren't good, but you goddamn look like an asshole talking shit about Soundgarden. No, no, no. Especially them I'm live. not saying they don't sound good. I'm just saying, like, watching them, I'm like, is there any is there anybody that could do a little bit of, like, hey, come on, work with us. Like, throw some energy at me. That's all I'm saying. It's like saying, here's my crowd on meth versus my crowd on weed. It makes I, no sense. I want saying. meth crowd. I want wow. meth. Because that makes you me. You guys want meth No, crowd? I yeah. just want to look pretty. That's all. Yeah. All right. So I always like to be the prettiest person in the room. Yes. <laughs> don't do drugs. Well, I guess you. weed's not drugs anymore, right? No, it's not. No. Don't do drugs, drugs unless it's weed and psychedelics, because that's what that's what's cool no. now. Oh, <laughs> we're not promoting psychedelics. <laughs> Uncle Brandon will. I just did it. Yeah. I Brandon did it on did Sunday. Acid. It was. He just did acid and scared out a guy's teeth for two hours. <laughs> Fantastic. I did. Next story, guys, about a band we all universally love and probably all the metalheads love, but don't like this story at all. Iron Maiden, Kings, they rule. They're the best. They sued the makers of an, a video game called Ion Maiden for $2 million. Now, this game was made by the company 3D Realms, and they made such classic video games as Wolfenstein and Duke Nukem. And they, Iron Maiden is saying that it's copyright infringement for this game Ion Maiden. Now, 3D Realms did respond to the lawsuit, so I'm going to read what they said, and then we'll talk about how we feel about this. We've recently heard about a lawsuit filed in California by the band Iron Maiden, claiming our old-school... First-person shooter Ion Maiden at Bombshell Games is infringing on their trademark. For what we've heard, the suit claims our main character, Shelly Harrison, originally debuting in 2006 Bombshell, is based on their musician, Steve Harris. Our skull bomb icon found in the game is based on their skeleton mascot, Eddie. Our logo in itself is based on theirs, and our frivolous claims anyone who has played. Ion Maiden would find more over-the-top than Shelly Loverboy. Her signature 18-round triple-barreled revolver... We at 3D Realms, our co-publishers, 1C Entertainment, and developers Voidpoint will review our options once we received official notice of the lawsuit and will make any necessary decisions at the appropriate time. Regardless, everyone continues to work diligently on Ion Maiden to deliver the best possible experience later this year. God, that was so much nerd talk. Jocelyn's Hyman grew back. Um. <laughs> I am uncomfortable that you're talking about my Hyman in front of me. <laughs> 
All right, you go ahead and uh, <laughs> listen. Okay, what so the, here, what, what, this here's my stupid. I feel it's like in culturally now, and for most of us, we look down on our favorite. Uh, entertainers and icons when they become litigious we don't like to see people being litigious if iron maiden had taken this opportunity as a great pr and said hey 3d realms like here's six of our songs have the rights throw us this much money and let's let's partner on this like let's like he could have used they could have used this as like a great like partnership to indoctrinate a whole new generation of kids to their music i just think that i think it's a little much I you could have made an iron maiden video game. yeah you could have made it like a, you could have been like look it seems like you guys are fans like let's make it legit let's make this like iron maiden to the t let's make a whole new generation of iron maiden okay fans. can we mention this though iron maiden said that the logo okay the skull logo looks like eddie it doesn't they said that the character shelly harrison with the gun is based off steve harris Okay. Steve has nice tits. I would be like, whoa. I mean, if I'm Steve Harris, he's like, hey, Steve, look at you in a vegan. Hey, whoa. Whoa. Cranky. I don't know. Cranky. I don't know. That was definitely my worst English accent. I, I don't know what that means at all, dude, what you just did. So the point is, is that like, this is kind of like ridiculous. And and, and I mean, it's petty. This is the stuff Kiss would do all the time. Look, I know. Like, <laughs> Kiss would sue right. people for anything. Yeah. yeah. Kiss cam. That's us. What are you doing making out at a basketball Kiss. game? Kiss that. Sue them. Kiss, we we're Hershey's kiss. kisses. Exactly. Fuck Hershey. You haven't cut your lips off. That's an infringement of our name, Kiss. Yes. Good day. So Iron Maiden's not known for that. I can see Guns N' Roses doing it. We, we've we've talked about Guns N' Roses. I don't know. Iron, Iron Maiden's always, they've kept their metal always for me. They've always kept their and I feel like once you get litigious, like you stop being metal. Like once you like file paperwork, you're not metal. Like, yeah, true. But, <laughs> but mean, my thing is, it's I guess what it is. Look, the, you got to be metal if someone's robbing you. The name Ion Maiden yeah. sounds kind of like Iron Maiden, but that's pretty much the only similarities that i'm seeing it's a girl with the gun it's a maiden yes i mean we can just say that that's the lead character right yeah. and then you know it's sci-fi i don't know it's man. sci-fi the name, they're working with ions they're working with particles they're blowing shit up now if i don't know man it, it, i'll tell you something right she now. she looks like steve harris if, fucking if, go if they were like we're gonna make a video game and kind of base it on our favorite band and use little things like that which i don't think they did okay um, even though Iron Man's saying that, if they were to do that, I mean, that's kind of like a nod to them. And it's like, it's hey, such a all that hard thing. work that goes behind making video games and all these things, especially from a legit-ass company like this, I, I don't know, dude. Do you know how much pain and heartache the Misfits would go through if they started doing this? Yeah. Misfits are like Kiss. <laughs> like, if, they, they, if, they, yeah. if they got mad at... But every single... like They're like... There's no way. Like, Mommy, can I go out and sue tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Lawyers from space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck. Do you guys feel? Let's let's talk about that. Do you feel that any band that these lawsuits always make bands look shitty? I do. Yes. I, I think that even though I want to say they don't, because I do believe that IP is important, and as somebody who creates content, I understand the importance of your IP. But I, I do also. I'm always of the thought process of like, don't go against the like, don't go against the current when it hurts you. Like, don't go against your own current. You know what I mean? Your your forward motion. Don't don't put a wall up and be like, oh well, you know, I gotta work. Does just move on. Make more content. Do something else. Let them, you know, flatter you. The people who really like you are gonna go, hey, like you're fucking ripping off our people, or they're gonna be like, cool, this is just like my favorite thing. Either way, it's good press for everybody. Next story I wanted to touch on, guys, real quick. Well, there's a story I wanted to touch on, but we can be real quick with this one. There's a new study out. 
there that claims you shouldn't listen to metal while driving. Fuck that study. It's the stupidest thing I've ever done. I, I am done with studies. How are In you? In 2019, st- stop studies. No, studies no are all stupid. They're all biased. I, I am done with studies as a uh, uh, taxpaying American. And how, how, did, how did they conduct this study? Was there a guy in a lab coat that just rode around and beat up cars with metalheads? Yeah, for no like they probably had people that don't listen to metal being like, this is aggressive music and I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, they took the study in a church. Yeah, yeah your you study's I mean? a little like, stupid and biased. Now, or, I can, or they rode in a car with, with Brandon. You and guys can go to, to, to metalsucks.net and read the study and everything of such things because we're just speculating here. But the point is, is that, yeah, dude. Come Fuck on. that study. Come on. All I'm saying is like how many people If you don't are you like the study? music, if you don't like the music, you'll probably get angry. So if you put on something I hate, I'll probably be like turn this ICP off. I'm getting angry. <laughs> Actually, you're you're tab, you're totally right about That's that. That's all it is. Like if I listen to music that I absolutely despise, like despise. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, of course I'm going to be driving erratically, probably reaching for the the knob on yeah. the, the the radio or if something like that. If the Mars like Volta's that. on, you might cross your arms when uh Oh, if the exactly. Mars Volta yeah. comes on, I'll drive my car into a wall. If the Mars Volta comes oh, you guys on, are dicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck both you guys with this Mars Volta. Yeah, exactly. No, if the Mars Volta comes on, I'm going to cross my arms and not grab the steering wheel, and then I'm going to take out a bus stop. That's that's their fault. That's their fault. And some people label Mars Volta as metal, and they're dumb. So is metal really dangerous, or is it Mars Volta that's dangerous to to listen to while driving? uh, I think it was Mars Volta that leveled Pompeii. Guess what? Metal sucks study. Mars Volta is dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Is Mars Volta dangerous? (laughs) Two-person study. We got it done. Done. With that, guys, let's jump into my interview right now with John from Baroness. Everybody, what's going on? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got John from Baroness. We are here to talk about the new record, Gold and Gray, which is coming out June 14th. Now, John, the first thing I always want to talk about when I get a Baroness record, because it is kind of a big deal, is the artwork, as we know as fans. <laughs> Um, it's it's very important uh, to the work and to Baroness, as we mentioned, but the, the image on the cover is very nurturing and inviting. Uh, how would you describe this image for this record? Well, I don't know that I could describe it as nurturing and inviting, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, that's not, not because I'm trying to be contradictory. You know, I saw this the opportunity with this album artwork to really sort of close the, you know, put, put a period at the end of the sentence of this project that we've been working on for about 12 or 13 years, which is simply to, you know, the chromatically themed titles. You know, when we, when we first started the idea, and that, this would have been in 2006 or 2007, you know, our drummer at the time, Alan Bookley, you know, he kind of made it, a, you know, it was kind of a joke because, he, because we had, we'd always done these like sequentially uh, titled EPs, first, second, third, whatever, and then knowing that I was an artist, you know, he suggested, well, why don't we just do, why don't we just do the color wheel, uh, which, which for those of you that don't know, it's, it's going six colors, it's red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple or violet, um, you know, and in his, in his words, just think about it, if we ever got to the end of that, our, our merch table would look fantastic, and I remember, la- you know, I remember laughing, thinking it was a great idea, of course, because it, you know, it offered me, a, you know, a great starting point to do the album covers. It didn't give away too much of the content of the record. You know, there is a, you know, I do have. It, it is, it is a symbolic thing to, you know, use these colors. There are, there are ways, there are levels of meaning that you can, that you can find through these colors, um, that that inform. The music and from the artwork, you know, that, that run parallel to what we're doing. You know, there, there's conceptual times and all that. 
but it also, you know, but more importantly, it's just sort of a simple, simple time. And on top of that, all, we never really thought we'd get any of those done. You know, we really thought two albums and we'd probably call it quits at the time. So to have, you know, to have gotten to the point where I'm, you know, where I was, uh, you know, I guess about six months ago, where I was starting the artwork for the, you know, the final installment of that, you know, because we've done that album and we did Blue Record. Then, you know, our double record was Yellow and Green, so that was two of them, and then Purple. It meant that the only color that I really had left to work with was Orange, Mm -hmm. which was intentionally left for last because because it was mostly because we didn't think we would do that many records. And I don't think it's a very fun color to use. I don't like, you know, the, the name of it certainly wasn't as evocative as any of the other ones. So, you know, as we're writing the record, this most recent record, Golden Gray, the entire time we're writing it, we refer to the record as orange. When we went into the studio to record it, all the session folders are called orange. The record was very nearly called orange, and I and I, I know that none of us really wanted that because it, it just doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not a, it's not as it's not a very cool title. It's even less cool as a as a starting point for making a piece of artwork. So we, you know, eventually, you know, I found some lyrical tie-ins and some uh, some conceptual tie-ins to the title "Golden Gray," and that became a far more poetic, evocative, and poignant title for me. But uh, you know, in, in wrapping this up, what I wanted, what I saw, ha- you know, happening as I started to lay the artwork out, was I started to see that there were elements in the artwork that you know, what done very rare, but there are consistent elements that run through all of the album covers. There's, there is a consistency of, uh, you know, in the layout, in the, in the type of images used, in the placement of the issue, of, of, of the images, in the symbolism of the images, and the meaning changes across the albums, but some of the specifics stay similar or stay the same. And so what I, what I made an attempt to do, because, you know, with each album cover, I try to load on more hyperbolic, ridiculous uh, ideas. I tried to have a little piece of every record we've ever done. And I tried to have all of the, all of our full lines were included in, in a, you know, in a sort of symbolic way on the, on this album cover. So <laughs> while, as I was laying it out, I started to, you know, I started to notice, I started to notice that I was putting in images that were really, I quite literally pulled from, from other covers. And then I started to notice that, you know, I was laying those out in a way that, you know, sort of felt like a rainbow. And now just keep in mind that at the very, at the onset of starting the artwork for this cover, I really just wanted it to be simple. I thought I was going to do something incredibly simple and efficient and, you know, really graphic because all of the other covers are so embellished and detailed and, and ridiculous that, I thought maybe the you know the thing that would be different about this is it'd be, it'd be like a one simple strong image, uh, and I, the, the crazy thing is I thought I was doing that until I was done, and I took, I took a step back and I looked at it, and you know lo- looking at it with you know, trying to look at it with fresh eyes as, as as you know maybe as the person who didn't make it, and I realized that not only was it detailed and elaborate and layered, but it was more detailed, more elaborate, more chaotic than anything that I had done on, on the earlier albums. And it's, it honestly, it just kind of freaked me out. 
it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like nurturing. It was it, for me mm-hmm. as as the, as the creator. It felt more like uh, like I was out of like maybe just out of control. Like the like like the image was in that way. People people like to say like the image is kind of making itself independently of me. Uh, my hands were moving. My mind was moving. I felt inspired, but I really didn't know what I was doing to, until I stopped. And when I stopped and looked back at it, it seemed a very accurate reflection of the music that we, which we have just written, which was intuitive and you know reactive and chaotic and confusing and swirling and you know manic and obsessive and just over the top and you know just by virtue of that fact alone, I felt that this it was the most effective synchronization of our imagery with our music. And I can see that, uh, actually, as you describe it, the chaoticness to it. it. It is more intricate than the other ones. Out of all the, the album covers that you've done, though, for Baroness, um, which one stands out, or which one is your favorite? Well, this one's my favorite. Mm. This is my favorite album. I won't... I, I don't think... It, you know, I think from my philosophy on recording and making these records and making this artist if the newest thing that we've done isn't my favorite, then it's not done yet. So I worked on this artwork and I worked on that record until it most definitely was my favorite. Um, you know, time, time will, you know, time will tell ultimately, you know, how I, how I look at these things. But, you know, in terms of my level of excitement, my level of interest, my, you know, my level of dedication and ambition to a project, this was the most intense, challenging, difficult, uh, but inspired thing that, that I've ever been part of. Uh, and it was, you know, it was both a huge labor, but also a labor of love and something that I put an immense amount of uh, attention, care, and caring to. Uh, but so, you know, so much so that I can't, I can't tell you, but I, I, I've enjoyed or been frustrated or had the, had half the experience with any of the other records that, I had, that I've had with this one. It just was a bigger thing almost the whole time we were making it. Now, on the artwork, you did collaborate on this piece as well as the one on Purple. Is that correct? With an outside artist? The, the, well, the, the, the album cover itself is, 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 is me. Is you okay. with the packaging? With the packaging that we put together, uh, I I work. I you know a lot. I since Yellow and Green, I've been working with other artists to help you know flesh out the the aesthetic. Um, and this is the second record I've worked with a, a very dear friend of mine. He's a Dutch artist. His name is Marvin Hostrom, and he did, he's done you know a series. I think he, I think at this point he's done twenty one illustrations for for the record. Uh, one of which is the, it, it's sort of hard to talk about this because the record's not out yet, but the back cover was something that he did. And then there's a, there's a huge booklet that I put together that includes a, an enormous amount of his artwork. That's so exciting for, like, cause I'm a fan that I think I, I still buy my records all in its entirety. So, and that is the reason that I, it, I'm always double excited about your guys' records because there is something to the whole package. Um, but in all forms of like collaborating, whether it's music, art, or whatever you do, do you think it's very um, imperative for a leader to be present for the vision 
to reach it? Or do you think uh, a true meaning can be found with four or five people in an organic way? What, what do you prefer as an artist? Well, I don't, I don't think that one of those, I don't think that those things are necessarily exclusive terms. Okay. But I do, I, I do feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's like very obvious to me at this point that it's, there, you know, so there needs to be a vision. There needs to be a vision that's intact. Uh, and, you know, with this band, that's, that's typically been, you know, my role is to, uh, over, you know, oversee the, you know, oversee the, the big picture of the vision and, you know, the, the broad strokes, so to speak. Um, so it doesn't, I, I don't think that things work incredibly well when you have four or five visionaries, uh, trying to communicate with one another because, very often, I think a vision is, you know, it is a unique, it is a unique thing coming from an individual. Uh, but that's not to say that it's, that's not to say that other people, you know, that I, that the collaboration of other people is, is a lesser thing. In fact, I, I think that, that, you know, the strength of Baroness is, is, is in the collaborative nature of what we do. In other words, I may have a vision, you know, I may be the, captain of a ship or the guy with his hands on the steering wheel but I am I could never do any of this without a you know without a fully participating team of people and co-collaborators so it's not it's not it, yeah yes it might be my vision yes I may be you know effectively writing the bulk of the song itself but even when I even as I say that it, it feels like like I'm taking the credit and that I and that I do the whole thing, you know, the or maybe I, maybe it's a better way to put it. The vision itself is of a collaboration and is of a group of people who are operating independently, but you know, whose input is absolutely necessary in order to generate anything, you know, anything like that vision. And in fact, I think when we, you know, when we're being the most creative and when we, you know, when we've done our best work, the, you know, it's very much a case of the sum total being far greater than any one of the individual parts. So, you know, part, you know, I think the important uh, you know, aspect of being a leader in a band is that you don't overvalue yourself. And an important part of, you know, being a member of a band is an understanding that you you are a part of a team. So you're not you don't ever have to it's not ever important that one person outshines another person or that one person is is, is heard more clearly. It's it's important that the combination of everybody's voice is its own thing unto itself. And I think I think that's a really important distinction, you know, especially when it comes especially when it comes to writing music, uh, that you know, if you're a guitar player, but you don't feel like every, at every point, at every stage in the game, like your guitar has to be heard louder than everything else. Or if, if you're the drummer, that you know that the, the drums are more important and more powerful than everything else. There's an ebb and flow to writing music as a group, where people's personalities come out, uh, you know, in waves and at the moments when it's the most necessary, so that it doesn't ever sound like it's you know one person thing. I and mean, it, it is such a it is such a huge uh, you know, hugely collaborative effort in and of itself. You know, I, th I think having the having that real 
you know, having a real sense of humility uh, when dealing with your, uh, you know, with your bandmates or your co-collaborators. It's, it's like this super powerful thing, and it's it is something that, that for me has really, uh, you know, has really flowered with age, and at least in terms of my understanding of it. You know, it's easy. I think it's easy when we're a younger band to, for, you know, for each one of us to. Just you know, just we just we just heard what we did, you know. But then, as you know, as as got older, and as, as we understood, you know, songwriting on a deeper level, I think we all we have all come to the understanding that you know we are contributing to something, and it's not that it's not that you hear a guitar, that you hear a bass, or you hear drums, or you hear vocals. It's that you hear all of this stuff at once, and it has to be every every element of the music every element of the vision, every element of the aesthetic and of the artwork and of the package needs to support the idea of the album as a whole. And, uh, you know, if you can really, it really looks like it's, it's a pretty fantastic thing and you get four people on the same page just with that idea. And that, you know, that's more and more felt the case as, as, you know, as we've gone on. And one of those uh, co-collaborators that you did return with from Purple is the producer uh, Dave Fridman. And uh, for a lot of people that don't know, yeah. he did uh, most the majority of the Flaming Lips stuff, um, I believe, after Transmissions. But the Soft Bulletin is the record that I always go to um, when I when I talk about records that, I guess, encompass the feeling of joy in rock and, in rock and heavy music. Because it's, yeah. it's a rare thing to hear such a, I guess, joyous thing. But with his journey as a producer and all his experience with a band just simply like the Flaming Lips, he's a very adventurous mm-hmm. voice. Did he bring a lot of that to you guys on this record? Yes, I, I you know I'll say that we've only we've made we've gone to great lengths as a band to only work with uh, people who have that same spirit of adventurousness as, as we do, uh, and you know with with Congleton before him. Uh, and and certainly with Dave, you know we've we've chosen to work with producers who don't, who seemingly don't concern themselves with, uh, you know the status quo or the you know the whatever whatever's whatever's working for everybody else whatever you know whatever's become routine and you know in production and and in uh, you know in engineering it's not important to them what's what's, in, what's been you know what what Dave brings to the table with Baroness is a comparable sense of adventurousness um, and you know in terms of engineering and, and production he's I mean I think he's the tip of the tip of the spear uh, you know in terms of creativity and, and I, you know for for us that's, that's been really important because I don't think that the, you know I don't think that Dennis needs or would benefit from uh, you know a sort of straight up the middle meat and potatoes type of producer I think that you know, I think that part of our goal is to is to create challenges, you know, like internal challenges with you know amongst amongst our group, uh, so that so that we might you know more fluidly uh, you know um, portray our, our, our you know our concepts of song, and, and so that we might you know we might be as varied and diverse and comprehensive a, a you know songwriting team as possible, but also so that we can create. Or, you know, hopefully, create some something unique. You know, something that not only stands the test of time, but something that uh, you know challenges the perceived boundaries of uh, you know what what our band is, and you know what, what you know something that you know Dave, what Dave is able to do for for us is 
on an internal level, he's able to show us, you know, help us find our way into, uh, you know, a level of songwriting, level of recording and uh, production that we weren't, we weren't sure we were capable of, you know, above and beyond where we, were ca- we thought we were capable of. But then furthermore, to, you know, to extend that challenge and that, uh, you know, hopefully that same sense of reward to our audience, you know, who's not, I don't think anybody's going to quite understand what we did the first time they listened to it, because I don't think we did. You know, I think that, you know, I think it's, it's a really special record for me because I still, you know, I'm still in a process of listening to it frequently and details continually emerge and deeper levels of, uh, uh, you know, songcraft continually open themselves up to me. And it's like, and as we get further away from the recording, it's kind of interesting to hear the bottom of how we did it, you know, like almost. You know, almost every song has got some part in it where it's just, I can't remember how we did it. I don't really know how we arrived at a certain point or how we executed some technical feat or how we created some sound. So, you know, we, we did it and, you know, and and we improved ourselves through the process. Um, so, I, you know, I think that I think that's become a very, very critical part of what we do. Um, and, you know, he's really, he's really allowed us to uh, to make some some very bold moves uh, with you know with our band and in a confident and creative and passionate way. And now, being honest and real as an artist has always been kind of a, an important part of I think your your journey. But when you are representing something that, in a lot of ways, is abstract, or do you just kind of kind of try to gauge an emotional honesty when creating, or do you feel that there's a bigger picture to that? by the end of like an album or a project that you're working on? Well, again, I think, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, the, the thing is, I don't have any, I don't overly concern myself with, uh, you know, with the performance aspect of our, you know, of our recorded material because, because at the very beginning of every song that we write and at some point in every, with every song that we've ever written, there has to be a gut level reaction that tells me and tells everybody else in the band, this is the shit, you know, like we're, this is, this is good. You know, um, we, that, that is the cornerstone of a band's song is the cornerstone of the band's record and of band's, you know, the whole is that the guts are there, you know, underneath the layers of, you know, abstraction and sound and, you know, obtuseness, there is a pulse and there's a heartbeat and there's something that you, it's even hard for me to articulate what it is. It just feels right. And it sounds like us. And that's, that's like rule number one. But on top of that, you know, then we begin to, then we begin to add, add details and embellish things and layer things. And we, do, you know, with this, with Golden Brady, we push towards the level of abstraction that, the only, you know, where, where many parts, the only thing we knew is that it felt, it felt good to be doing it. It felt, it felt honest and genuine. At the end of the day, when we, you know, when, when we're about, when, when I'm about to sign off on, you know, on a mix of a song or sign off on a record, I do have to put, you know, then I have to put my critical listening ears on and, and try to at least make sure that I can answer the, the basic questions, you know, across the course of the record, you know, 
you know, what purpose does this song serve? Why is it, why is it like this? You know, I just kind of ask myself why a lot. And as long as, I, as long as I'm asking and can begin to answer, then, then you know, then that's enough. Because, you know, every once in a while, you, just, you, you do something you can't really, there's no real justification for it. I don't know why I did it. I don't know what purpose it serves. Maybe it's just some superficial thing. It's just some superficial, uh, you know, element that, that only adds up to, you know, some kind of artist that, you know, maybe, maybe offers as a, you know, immediate listening pleasure. It's not that important. It's, it's, it's you know, it can stand the record, maybe, but more than likely it's going to hit the cutting room floor. So, I guess, you know, I guess the thing is, initially, we all, there's a, there's a gut, there, there has to be a gut level reaction. You know, our hearts have to be in it. Our hearts have to be in everything that we do. And then, where it goes from there, we leave that up, you know, we leave that up to intuition, we react, we do things spontaneously, without questioning, and then at the end of the process, just check it for, you know, the broad, like I said, the broad questions. And as long as that, that all holds up, cool. Uh, I've done, you know, we've recorded records in the past that if, if I was tasked with going back into the studio and re-recording it, I'm sure I can come up with a similar result. Golden Gray, in specific, is a record that very much could not be, there's no way to replicate it. I'd be absolutely no way. Everything would come out very differently because so much of that record was based on intuition uh, and, you know, and split-second, like, decision-making. If we had to make all these decisions again, we'd, make, we'd probably make the right ones. They just wouldn't sound the same. They'd be different sorts of reactions. Nice, dude. That's that's awesome. I like to hear that. How long do you think as an artist did it take you to get that intuition where you just knew it? Do you think you were born with that? Or do you think there was kind of a process where it felt like anxiety at first or something like that for you to kind of get that feeling to know when you're like, this is genuine, this is honest, this is what I wanted to say? Well, I believe at least at the very least in the context of this, it's, it's, it, it boils down to trust and respect. And the more, you know, the, the more music we played as a band over, you know, different lineups over different over many years, the more respect that I learned to give and the more trust I learned to give to the, the project as a whole, in the, you know, independent of its members. But, the, you know, the more this lineup that the band played and jammed and, and learned, you know, learned how to communicate audibly, uh, you know, through our music, the more you know, the deeper level of trust and respect we, we grew for, you know, we gained for one another uh, to, to the point where just because of the time we'd spent, just because we were, you know, just because we, you know, we learned how to be honest with, with one another in a musical way and in a personal way, we developed that kind of trust and, uh, and that, you know, and that, uh, what that boils down to is, is confidence, you know. So if we're doing, if, if we were, you know, if you listen to Golden Great, there's three or three songs that are, almost entirely improvised. And that's only due to the fact that we trusted each other that that, in, that improvisation, that intuition would be good. Uh, you know, there's been points in the past where I think, you know, with a certain attitude, with a certain lineup, under certain circumstances, if we were, if, you know, if we had the idea to just jam something and hope it would be a song, we, would, we wouldn't even do it because it would, it, would, it would be a waste of time before we even started. I don't, I'm not exactly sure other than, you know, what I've explained you know, to get to get our this current line up to that point, it just it felt right, and 
you know, I think I think one of the biggest, most important aspects of playing music the way we do is it, it has to feel right. It doesn't matter what, you know, it almost doesn't matter what the style is or what the sound is or the volume or the tempo. Or, I mean, both, those things are all variables. They're, they're all, those are things that can change and you can push around. If it feels right, it feels right. And you don't really need to question it beyond that feeling. If that feeling is mutual among four people ever, then yeah, you've got, you have to go with it. That's what music is. You know, it's, you know, on a certain level, music is that feeling of being impassioned, being, you know, being creatively free, being, you know, technically capable of using your skill set to support the idea of a song or an album. And I think, I, you know, I think more than anything else, the four of us have a duty and an obligation to our songs to elevate them and lift them up as if, as if we weren't part of them, as if we were just employees of the song itself. Um, and I, I think that's a, I think it's a really cool thing that we've arrived at. But I really, you know, I've, I've explained it as well. Like, I, can, I don't even know if that's exactly how we got there. It's just, we did, and, you know, recognizing that is as important as anything else. I do want to promote that you guys do have a week of acoustic performances coming up in celebration of the new record, Golden Gray, which comes out June That's 14th, everybody. Were there any songs you tried to format acoustically that didn't work for you yet on these shows? I think with every one of our records, there, there tends to be two types of sounds. There's songs that we, we, could, we can reinterpret in like six or seven different ways and hold, they hold up. And then there's songs that are based on, you know, normally there's songs that are based kind of on the riff or the the specifics of the performance that you can't you can't adjust them too much so um, you know I guess generally speaking you know tracks on the record that are that are really you know based on like like uh, you know a dynamic drum rhythm you know solos and you know fills and have all the technical fireworks out of the guitars and you know rely really heavy on electric bass those, those we can't you can't really adjust and boil them down into acoustics. But then there are songs in the record that work as piano songs or as acoustic songs or as vocal songs or, or you know, that the, the, the technical stuff that happens to them in the recording is just there to, you know, to boost up and, you know, and, and again, like to, to elevate the song itself. I don't know if I prefer one, one type of song or another, but there are some, there are definitely songs on Golden Bear that we cannot play with two acoustic guitars. Um, and there are songs that we could play with just about any instrument. Uh, so yeah, we, we run into we run into some, but they're all, they're also the ones that are super loud and when they don't soften up really well anyway. Well, John, I want to thank you, dude, so much for calling in. I want to tell everybody one more time: make sure you guys pre-order and pick up your copy of Golden Gray. It's out June fourteenth. I know you're going to be selling vinyls. I believe pre-orders at those acoustic shows. Guys, don't miss out on owning a physical copy of anything that John does here with Baroness. Every single product is is just special and important. So with that, John, man, I just really want to thank you for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
and we are back guys first song you heard is off the new record by baroness called golden gray as you heard it's coming out june 14th guys make sure you check for tour dates and everything they'll be touring this summer out here in north america that song is called borderlines like every baroness record it's amazing it's a great journey make sure you guys pre-order that today second song you heard is the latest from the band combi christ their new record, On Fire, is coming out June 7th. That song is called Understand. I want to thank everybody one more time for all the five-star reviews we keep seeing popping up on iTunes. That simple gesture means the world to us. And I know you guys out there, we truly appreciate the kind words you say if you write a review. If not, just click five stars. It's that easy. It makes us super happy. And again, I want to thank everybody for checking out our other podcast, the documentary one, Rise to Offend. This week, we'll be tackling Married with Children. Check it out. Hopefully, you guys are fans of that show. And guys, if you want to see Jocelyn Sharp live, where are you going to be, Jocelyn Sharp? Well, I'm going to be in Colorado this week. So if you're listening to this right now, it's Tuesday, and I'm in uh, somewhere tonight. I'm in Loveland, Colorado tonight, probably, or tomorrow. I don't remember. You were prepared. Go to at Jocelyn Sharp. <laughs> Go to at Jocelyn Sharp on Instagram. I have it all listed. I have a whole week of shows. But this this weekend, June 7th and 8th, I'm going to be in Colorado Springs at Looney's Comedy Corner. Tickets are super cheap. It's going to be a super fun show. It's my favorite club in the country. So please come out and see me. I would love to meet some metal sucks fans on the road yes guys go make sure you go joshlandsharp.com check out our dates all the time and uh brand has got dates too yeah whatever they're all in vegas (laughs) (laughs) i hate leaving (laughs) see you guys until next week metal sucks podcast is signing off this is the jabberjaw podcast network